Hello, stunning humans. Mark here. We have another Rewind episode for you featuring the incredible thinker, brilliant human, Naveen Jain. And I wanted to bring this one back up because Naveen is someone that I find myself reflecting about or being guided by often, especially when I want to put my mind into a state of expanded possibility. So this episode is loaded full of prompts and practices to do that, to open up our minds, to think from a different perspective, to think from a place of of abundance and opportunity versus lack and limits and so forth. So I hope you enjoy this one. And if you're one of the listeners who have uh, my book, Personal Socrates, I have a chapter on Naveen as well on page 182 titled, What If It Were Possible? Enjoy this one. All right, welcome to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I've got Naveen Jain, who is an entrepreneur driven to solve global grand challenges through innovation. He is the founder of several successful companies, including Moon Express, Biome, and Blue Dot, to name a few. Just to give an idea of the scale that Naveen is operating at, Moon Express is the only company in the world to have the permission to leave Earth's orbit and land on the moon with the goal of making humanity a multi-planetary society. And Viome, which is a product or service I've personally used, uh, is also focused on disrupting the healthcare industry with the goal of making illness elective. Now, that's, that is so powerful. I am ecstatic to have you on the show. Welcome, Naveen. Well, Mark, first of all, it's an absolute honor, and I know my sincere apologies. I know we've been trying it for a long time, so I'm so glad that we're finally here. Patience is key, and, and you know, those who wait and, and uh, you know, foster the relationships that win in the long run, right? <laughs> agree, completely agree. You know, Naveen, before uh, all guests get the same intro question on this show, and so before yeah. we get into some of your work and, and uh, your story, I'd love to just know, you know, who, who is Naveen? Who are you? What defines you as a human on this planet? You know, to me, uh, you know, when you look at a person, there are many facets of that person. You know, how are you as a father, as a husband, as a, you know, professional? And to me, the thing that if I were to look back at my life and say, what am I most proud of? And I would say it will be watching our children just absolutely do things that are, you know, that's not just moving the humanity forward, but with a sincere heart and care about doing the things that actually makes the world a better place, right? They are at a young age, they're not saying how much money they can make. They're all saying, what difference can we make? Because when you go out and create a company with a mission to help people, you create a great enterprise, but that's a byproduct of helping people. So yeah. doing doing good and then you do well by doing good. You don't go simply say, I want to make money. You simply say, what if I can do something that can help a billion people live a better life? Now, in turn, if you succeed in doing that, you would create a multi-hundred billion dollar company, but you never set out to do that. You always stay focused on the goal and the mission of how can we, how can you improve the lives of people? 
And that to me gives me the pleasure that, you know, our oldest, you know, started when he was 17 and now he's 30 years old. He's running four companies around affordable housing, affordable senior care, and really going out and saying, how do we make this affordability crisis and how do we lift the people from low middle in, uh, income to you know to place where they can actually be self sufficient and really create these people to live their dreams and this is the idea of this american dream is no longer an american dream it is a global dream there is not a human out there who doesn't want to live the best life for themselves and for their children and grandchildren right yeah. And our daughter is, you know, working on things to, you know, get rid of all inherent biases we have from gender bias to racial bias uh, in hiring. So that's her passion and that's what she's focused on. And our youngest also graduated from Stanford, just like our daughter. And he became a Schwarzman scholar and he's now starting a company exactly along the lines of how do we go take a massive problem? that has potential to change the way people are going to live their lives and go out and execute on that and not you know, not worry about what that industry, how much you know about that industry and how little you know about the industry because they all have learned the same thing. You know, you can learn almost any skill you want. What you can't learn is sincerity and care about, it, about the yeah. world. How did you instill, uh, you know, as a as a dad myself, um, I have a four year old, and I mean, I can only imagine as he as he grows up, um, if he continues, and 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 I can help foster that thinking and mentality. I mean, I would just uh, that that that's all I can hope for, right? Is just to give love and support to to do that. I'm curious though for you, like they obviously see you, they see how you think, and they see how you act, and and how you execute and whatnot. Were you ever consciously doing anything different or interesting to kind of instill some of those values into your kids? Because it's fascinating. They're all they're all working on massive problems. Like that's a whole level of of thinking that's not the average, right? Yeah. So, Mark, I mean, you know, obviously, when the kids are young, it's not what you tell them that really matters. As you see, they watch you. Right. So, you know, from the beginning, uh, when they were young, I would tell them that the success is never defined by how much money you have in the bank. It is defined by how many lives you improved. And at that time, they would say, whatever that. Right. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> it, it is literally that. Right. And you tell them that your self-esteem will never come from how much you own. It will come from how much you create. That means what have you done to contribute to the society rather than how much you own? I mean, you could be some Middle East chick and you could have lots of money, but you're still a parasite on society because you haven't created anything. Right. Yeah. So my point is, don't be that parasite. And, you know, um, but here's the interesting part, right? So, you know, I started my first company and it was wildly successful beyond any dream I could have had, you know, coming from a humble background, not having a food to eat, not having a place to stay, coming to this country, not speaking the language, came with absolutely nothing but $5 in my pocket. And God has been so kind to us. And when I started the first company, it was just absolutely wildly successful, right? And at that time, you know, you tell children that it doesn't matter how much money you have. And then you literally at that time, if I said, you know what, I'm going to just sit at home now. The kids are young. And what most parents say, hey, I'm going to spend time with the family, right? The young children. Mm -hmm. I want to just 
you know, not do anything anymore. I'm going to sit at home. I'm going to spend time with the family. And not, it's a noble way of looking at it, right? But if you think about from the kids' perspective, what do they see? The kids see that they get up early morning, 7.30, they're out in the school bus, they're going to school, and the dad is at home sitting on the sofa watching CNBC. They come tired from school. They got to do homework. Dad is at home watching CNBC. Yeah, and now yeah. you can tell them all you want, and they're thinking in their mind, I want to grow up just like my dad, sit at home and watch CNBC, right? Yeah. Instead, what they saw was dad doesn't have to do a thing. Dad starts a second company. The dad starts a third company, and he keeps going on and focusing on solving the problem. And then dad goes absolutely crazy. One day he says, you know what? We're going to start a company to go to the moon. We're going to settle down on the moon and you know, create the humanity that can live on multiple planets. Dad, you're crazy. That can never be done. It has never been done. Guess what? You show them it can be done. And then, then dad just absolutely loses his mind. He says, what if we can fix healthcare? What if being having a sickness is actually a matter of choice? What if you never have to be sick unless you make a decision to be sick? They say, Dad, what are you talking about? You know nothing about healthcare. And then you go out and start a company and you show that can be done. Now, imagine that child growing up and saying, it's not what my dad says. It's what my dad does. He just does focus on solving problems. He's not telling me what to do. He's doing it and I watch him do it. And it doesn't matter how crazy that idea sounds. He goes out and does it. So what stops me from going out and saying, I can solve this problem? Because they know every problem is solvable. The only time you can't solve something is the day you start to believe it is impossible. Because when you say it is impossible, it becomes impossible only for you and no one else. Yeah. So it is your mindset that tells you what you can or cannot do. And even though the people will constantly put limit on you of what you can achieve. Now, I love my mom, right? My mom, when I was growing up, would say, son, you are so smart. You can do anything in life you want. The sky is the limit, right? But she put that limit right out there. The sky is the, the sky, limit. yeah. <laughs> right? But the point really is, Mark, you and I both know, the sky doesn't exist. It is a figment of our imagination, right? It mm -hmm. doesn't exist anywhere. When you go from here to the moon, you don't say, hey, mom, I just passed the sky. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so my point is, how many of these skies we create in our life, right? When we go out and create these skies that may be, oh, I can't get this job. That's a sky for me, right? Or I can go out and start a company. That's a sky for me. I cannot cross that limit, right? My point is we create these, you know, imaginary hurdles in front of us and say, that is my limit, right? Until you realize the only limit is what you believe you can't do, right? Yeah. And there's just so much. I mean, the, the, the thing that, that comes to mind is that we're surrounded by so much of these restrictions and, you know, essentially like scarcity of the mind in, 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 mm -hmm. a, in a sense. Right. Yep. Um, and there's a lot of negativity around society and everything. Like, so how do you I mean, it, it seems like you were almost born with this this mindset, but for people that are doing their best to get to that. Right. And, and break down some of those, those mental blocks so that they can ask the big questions and keep going. Are there any suggestions or anything that you've seen work from a, a mental capacity or a mental fitness standpoint to help? Yeah. 
So first of all, you're never born with this thing. I mean, as humans, we are born with all the potentials and no limits at all. Watch a small child. They have absolutely no limit that they have. They go, want to do everything, try everything, break everything. They have absolutely no limit. The society actually starts to set the limit. You are a girl. You cannot do that. You are born in the poor family. You will never get there. You are a person of color. You will never get there, right? So we actually start to train them to basically what their limits are. So to me, it is a learned problem. That means mm. if it is a learned problem, we can unlearn that, right? Yeah. So my point is, it is simply about, uh, and mindset is one, but I think also that our belief system, we create these belief system that actually to some extent, it starts to become the, limitations we create in ourselves. I'm just trying to not use the word God and a church here because like that is the kind of belief system we create when we start to say in this church, in this religion, that is my belief and I will never be able to go past that belief. You will never able to question that belief because you're not supposed to question the religion, right? Mm -hmm. And my point is when you start to create the belief like that, that is you're born with, you can never get out of it because you're told never to question. Does God exist? You're not supposed to question that because by questioning that, you already have committed the sin. <laughs> exactly. So, so to me, that is so my fundamentally what, you know, from my perspective, I tell our children is your belief system is that you are, you should be questioning everything. So when you are come, you know, when they would come to me when they were young, and say, that, that just can't be done. And my answer was, imagine for a second, what if that was possible? What if that actually could be done? What would that world look like? So imagine, and can you tell me, if that was somehow possible, I could sprinkle the, sprinkle the magic dust and that actually could happen. What would that world look like? Now, don't you want that world to be created? Now, if you can believe in that world that that can be created, go out and create one. Right. So my point is that constantly telling them that everything is actually possible and you just have to be able to visualize, visualize it clearly enough to be able to describe it in vivid details, because the more clearly you can see the world that you want to create, the easier it becomes for you to create and easier for you to become to essentially tell that story of that world that you see. And even though many people will say that you have some of these tinted rose glasses that you see the world that doesn't exist and you have somehow living in this parallel universe that I don't know what you see because that will never happen until you start to describe that world. And people say, you know what? I believe in that. I want to help you create that world, right? And that's how the world changes. You know what I love about what you said, Naveen, is that there, it's, there's such a small little inflection point that can either send, whether it's your kids or someone else you're, you're speaking with, down that limiting belief side or expanding possibility, right? With just literally one question, what if that was possible? One question, 
It's unbelievable. And I think, you know, the two words that I love in the language, uh, English language, the, I think the most powerful word, one of them is imagine, right? If any time you tell someone, imagine, what happens is they take off everything and they keep the mind blank, the blank canvas, and now you can tell them what to imagine. And if you can divide, if you can describe that world in vivid details, they can start to imagine that, right? And that to me is imagine really takes away the belief system for that second and says, okay, I'm open, show me what, tell me what to imagine, right? And the second thing is what if, what if somehow, don't worry about how, focus on why, what is it that I want, right? And then not worry about how it's going to get done because how it is easy. There are going to be some smart people who can get you there, but smart people don't know what they should be working on. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> uh, a good segue because I did want to talk a little bit about, I mean, you have, and I'll link to this, you have a whole book on, on moonshots and moonshot thinking, which is essentially a, a lot of... Uh, what you've been describing now, but one of the questions I I did want to ask is for you, like, how do you, when you land on an idea, let's, let's talk about, uh, health, right. And inflammation and chronic disease and all of that. And you start questioning and you start going down to the root cause. Like for you, when do you shift from those kind of why and what questions to the how, like, what's the trigger? So actually the way it works is you describe the problem and you describe why that problem is important enough and if it can, if it can be solved how it will change the way people live their lives right and once you do that amazing things happen which is the best and the brightest around the world will come to you to help you solve that problem and here's why because the best and the brightest want to work on the toughest problem they want to to lead their legacy. Most of these people are you know, super successful. What they're looking for is something significant to work on, right? Sure. And when you give them that vision, that idea, then suddenly things start to fall in place, right? So when I started with this idea, why do we have the chronic diseases? Again, going back to it, Mark, as you said, in the beginning of the intro that as an entrepreneur, the best thing you can do is to ask the right question because most entrepreneurs focus on having the right answer. And I always believe the trick is in asking the right question, right? So I can give you a couple of examples of that because I really think they bring it home. Sure. So for example, when I was working on this Moon Express project of going to the moon and said, what if we can actually live on the moon? And, you know, instead of people challenging that, that you can never go to the moon, we never been to the moon, moon may not even exist and blah, blah, blah. Interestingly, what people would say is great, let's assume you do go to the moon, then how are you going to grow the food on the moon, right? How are you going to live there? In their mind, the limitation was, how do we grow the food? And what if I told them, I said, what if that, that is the wrong question to be asking yourself? What if the right question to ask is, why do we eat food? Now, think sure, about it just for a sure. second, because the minute you ask the question, why we eat food, you say, oh, we eat food because we need energy and we eat food because we need nutrition. What if the energy can be achieved through radiation? There are bacterial organisms that live in radioactive nuclear waste. 
and they have figured out not only how to protect their DNA from the radiation, they figured out how to use radiation as a source of energy for them to live on. So what if we can take the genetic material from that bacteria, use CRISPR to modify our own genes, and next thing you know, radiation is a source of energy for us humans, right? And mm-hmm. the second thing is nutrition. Well, what kind of nutrition do you need? I mean, maybe let's assume you need hydrogen, you need oxygen, you need nitrogen. And you say, oh, well, we know there is plenty of water on the moon. So that got, that got you hydrogen and oxygen, H2O. And now this nitrogen thing is interesting. We don't know it's there or not. Let us go ahead and find nitrogen on the moon, or we will figure out how to create, take enough nitrogen from our Earth, or we will create nitrogen somehow, right? My point is, now the problem of living on the moon is not how to grow the food. It is simply about finding nitrogen, right? My point. So it suddenly yeah. changed the problem from one sphere to a completely different sphere. Now that it's not doable, now there are many, many possibilities how to do that. Just, yeah, it's, it's fascinating what you can do by reframing the, the problem and then just continually asking the questions. And the second part that you mentioned was, Mark, I think was uh, understanding the root cause of the problem. Because many people fail because they tend to focus on solving the symptom of the problem. And by the way, it is everywhere, whether you look at the societal issues, whether you look at the entrepreneurial issues, and I'll give an examples of both of them. So if you're looking at the things and say, you know, lack of fresh water is a big problem facing humanity in many developing countries. They just don't have uh, fresh water. Yeah. And you say, you know what, I think I'm going to go solve that problem because that's a big enough and I'm going to build some type of nano filters that will be able to get, get these people to desalinize the water, take the stuff and that to be able to give them a fresh water. And then you feel really good about solving that problem until someone comes along and say, hey, can you explain it to me? Why do we have a shortage of fresh water? And then you say, oh, I see, because majority of the fresh water is actually used for agriculture. Interesting. So what if we can change the way we do agriculture? Can we do aquaponic agriculture, hydroponic, aeroponic, or find a way to use lightly salted water to use for agriculture, then we suddenly have lots of fresh water for the people, wouldn't it be? Yeah, that sounds really good, so I'm gonna work on agriculture. Now, you're feeling really good that you got to the root cause until someone says, hey, why do we have all this agriculture? What do we use that for? (laughs) And then you say, oh, majority of agriculture is used to feed the cattle. Oh, interestingly, (laughs) really? So why do we need these cattle for? get the meat. Well, why, what if we can take a stem cell from a cow and just grow the meat on in a biofactory? Won't that get, you know, get rid of the need for raising the cattle? That means we'll have plenty of agriculture, plenty of fresh water. And instead of worrying about how to feed 8 billion people, now we can feed 20 billion people and still have plenty left, right? But mm-hmm. it is simply trying to understand the reasons why it is and ask, keep asking those questions you suddenly realize the lack of fresh water was simply a synthetic biology problem of creating meat, right? And that to me is really the way of understanding the root cause versus solving the symptom. But if you look at from a social perspective, you know, there is a really great story that comes to mind. Uh, When I was young that I was told that, you know, in the river, there is a guy who is a Buddhist monk at the, you know, and he's right at the bottom of the river and he sees these bodies coming, wounded bodies coming in. 
and he's pulling them one at a time and trying to revive them. And there was another guy who walks past right him and looks at him and just keeps walking. And the Buddhist monk screams and said, don't you have any compassion or empathy here? I am just dying, drowning myself, pulling these bodies out and trying to help them. Can't you stop for a second and help me here? And he says, I am just going up to find out why these bodies are being wounded. Right. And my point was to understand, instead of now saying that I am really going to help the orphanage and trying to create another orphanage, you say, wait a sec, why do we have these orphans to begin with? Instead of my solving that problem, let me solve the problem so we don't keep getting these kids who become orphans. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, in all these examples, I'm, I'm wondering... Have you ever caught yourself in almost like a never-ending loop of questions? Or is it, you know what I mean? Because I feel like it could keep going, right? Like you could, and sometimes your mind can play tricks on you on that. Well, maybe I'm not at the root cause. Have you ever encountered that or do you just know, like, oh, that's it? Well, you don't know. And sometimes you may actually be still solving the symptom, but at least you say you have gotten down maybe two levels deeper yeah, than you could exactly. have gotten beforehand, right? And again, and maybe while you're trying to solve that, you will suddenly realize that hey, you really haven't hit the root, root cause yet. And then you, you pivot. Yeah. That's a good point. Good but you got to get started. The question really is ask question, but get started. You have to act on it. What you can't do is keep doing this intellectual masturbation and just keep thinking. You got to <laughs> <Love> act. That. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> uh, Davina, I want to ask you you know, how do you keep your mind clear to see? these questions and see these these signs and all the incredible stuff that you choose to 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 work on well first of all you have to be true to yourself right so find time for yourself where we are not there to show people how smart you are you're not trying to prove anything to anyone you're simply focused on actually listening to your inner voice of what is it, how you feel, what is going on. And I think just constantly find a me time is really the most important thing I find that whether you call that a meditation, whether you just call that a, you know, people say, I'm just taking a weekend off to just think, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, however you can find that peace in yourself where you can essentially have a clear head. Uh, you know, I do meditate twice a day and I do also, uh, you know, take time off and I, you know, do all of that. But I think many of the time I find the clearest thinking to me comes is when I'm just taking a nice hot water shower when I have nothing, no phone next to me, no nothing. And I'm just enjoying a hot water shower. Yeah, well, it's when the exactly because it's when your mind is uh, is is not charged with all these different things, and you hear yeah. that too when people are showering or running or or whatever the yeah. case is. Yeah, but I feel like uh, many and, and myself included at times, you know, just struggle with finding what what those moments are for you, right? Or or trying to fill the voids. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's uh, I I can imagine. I mean, I, I'm sure there's people that have. Uh, who knows? They're listening to a podcast in the shower or something. I mean, there, there's probably crazier things happening. It's just a matter of of being okay with some of those voids, right? To think, it's like we it's like we've lost the ability to think. 
and think for ourselves, I would, if I may add, yeah. and I'm not saying that you shouldn't listen to others, but point is having listened to everyone, you still have to learn to listen to yourself because at the end of the day, there's got to be a uh, centered that everything you do in your life need to be centered about how you feel about it. That means you have to listen to your own inner voice after having listened to all other voices. So you can listen to 10 podcasts, but then you got to reflect on that and say, what does it really mean to me? What am I going to do about it? And how am I going to act on it? Yeah, I love that. Just I'm writing those down. Those are great, great prompts. I was going to get to your prompts, but there's this is littered full of it in, in a great way. Um, are there any, I mean, you mentioned a few things about meditation and, and the showers, but are there any other non-negotiables in your life that no matter what's going on, uh, if things are getting really busy or your travel schedule's uh, wild, that you you default to? Like, you've got to do this for, for you. Well, you know, the first thing is I always like to sleep early as much as I can. That means I like to go to bed early. I like to get up early. And it's not just a, it not, it's not a deal breaker if I some, some days I'm late. That's not a deal breaker. But that's sure. generally what I prefer. Uh, anytime I need some, uh, you know, fresh time, I just, you know, take shower or go for a walk. I just think sometimes it's a crisp walk a crisp a walk outside in the nature gives you a plenty to think about and i think when anytime i'm walking i don't like to listen to anything i don't want to you know talk to anyone i am just simply simulating various things in my brain to see if this happens then what if this happens then what if this happens then what and i'm just constantly simulating different ideas and saying what feels right what feels good and mm-hmm. uh, and that is really, to me, as an entrepreneur, learning to listen to your gut, learning to listen to your intuition. And that intuition is really nothing but a pattern recognition from the past of all the things you have seen in your experience and your life. But the fact is, that is what gives you a way to actually intuit, right? Yeah. Uh, How do you mix? I was, just a question that comes to mind when you're saying that, because it's something I've been fascinated as well. I mean, you, we, we know the decisions where we've ignored our intuition or our gut. It's, it's so obvious when we get to the other side of that, but I'm wondering if you've ever thought about the mix of there's, there's our gut and our intuition, but then there's also the experiences that we've picked up and the knowledge as well as, as you know, our heart, right? Like I said, I almost say your, your mind, heart, and gut. Do you, have you found that or have you have you played with kind of working in, within those three systems essentially well, I mean, decision look, making? I mean, yeah, mind, body, and soul. I mean, you really all have to come together. It is your brain telling you one thing, your heart telling you something else. And that really is sometimes it's pretty obvious many of the times if you look at you know, whether you are a guy or a gal and you say, you know, on paper, my brain is telling me that is a perfect partner for me. He is, you know, he's tall, he's rich, he's handsome, he's blah, blah, blah. And your heart tells you, walk away, walk away from that one. That's not going to end well. Yeah. Right? So what is it that you are seeing that you say, on paper, I can go through every logic. My brain is telling me, why would you not go move forward? And, you're, and your heart or your gut or intuition telling you, 
walk away. <laughs> so at that point, that little signs that you see, you cannot possibly figure out what it is. And most of the time, you will turn out to be right. Anytime you force, you make a decision that your brain said and your heart said no, and you turn, I mean, I would say 99% of the time that decision turned out to be wrong, right? You will say, oh my God, what was I thinking not listening to my heart? Yeah. Do you, t tactically speaking, do you, in those moments, do you s sit down, do you journal, do you write, or is it w on one of your walks? So actually, I do, so I do this very often. Anytime okay. I have to make some very critical decision, what I do is I shut everything down and I close my eyes. And I just feel I have made this decision and I am now I'm going through it and uh, how I feel. Now six months have gone, am I, how am I feeling? And literally, if I feel that I feel uneasy, I just mm. walk away despite any, all the things on the spreadsheet paper, it doesn't matter to me. If I feel I'm just uncomfortable, I just walk away. That's powerful. And just, I mean, I, I've done this many times and I've just, some of the you know decisions that, you know, it was a very large deal. And my, you know, team is telling me, look, this will put us on the map. How can you walk away? We can make this work. And I just close my eyes and I say, give me 15 minutes. I'm going to come back to you. And I say, you know, it just doesn't feel good. I'm going to walk away. And they, everybody's screaming. And guess what? Six months later, the person who took the deal actually went bankrupt because the deal did not work. And it came back to us at one third the price, right? Sure. Point was, it just does not, did not feel good. And, and it happens more often than you and I actually like to admit it, is yeah. that if we can somehow listen, we know we have very good intuition. You just have to learn to listen to it. Well, we're, we're master storytellers. We can, we can convince ourselves of a lot of different things, yep. right? Even there was a question left by one of the, one of the guests from uh, the Flow Research Collective. I'm sure you've come across that crew before, Stephen Kotler and whatnot. Yeah, I know Stephen. I know Stephen Kotler very well. Him and yeah. Peter Diamandis, obviously. Yeah. Well, exactly. So Stephen's coming on the show at the end of the year, but I had interviewed Jamie Wheel uh, last yeah. year, um, and one of the prompts he had left that makes me think of what you just mentioned was just you know what are we pretending not to know, <laughs> and I found that powerful because it's just there there are there usually are things that are there and we just we make excuses for them whether they're relationships or ideas but there's always something right that keeps it going and I, I think what what a or what I love about what you're saying is just don't, don't pretend and, and take the moment or take the 15 minutes in your case and mm -hmm. really think about it yeah. and feel it. And I think, you know, that's not something they teach you at the Harvard business school because no. they're told to go through the spreadsheets. And I have, I always hated spreadsheets because, you know, the problem with the spreadsheets I always found was that, at the end of the day, there are so many unknowns and there's so many assumptions you have to make. And if you believe something is going to work out, you make positive assumptions. And if you don't think it's going to work out, you make negative assumptions. At the end of the day, spreadsheet tells you what you already knew. <laughs> and my point sure. is now you have numbers <laughs> to show for it. But the point is, you already made the damn assumptions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hello, friends. Given you're here, I'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit. So with that in mind, I want to let you know about the Better Questions newsletter, which publishes once or twice a month, providing all of us the opportunity to slow down, think, and ask better questions. As you know, quality questions are my thing, and this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional, and expand our mental capacity. 
You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. I'd love to get, I mean, like I said, you've, you've left quite a few and I'll, uh, I'll review the show later as well. But if you had to think just of, a, let's say, two or three reflective questions that circulate your mind on a frequent basis or during big decisions or life events what what would those be what what purpose are you here on this planet for i mean what is your calling what is your purpose in life that you are here to serve and you, if you can't answer that you have you constantly struggle uh, mm-hmm. in finding the true path for yourself finding what makes you happy right And it can't be something or someone that makes you happy. The minute you believe it is something, then you keep chasing it. If it is someone, you keep chasing it. And now you have given the remote control of your happiness to that someone. They decide when you are happy. They decide when you are unhappy. So you have to find the inner happiness, the inner peace. What makes you, what brings you that peace? And if you can find that, then it doesn't matter how dark things are because if you find that happiness inside you, you could be sitting in a dark corner and you could be happy. But if you don't have that happiness, you could be sitting in paradise and still be unhappy. So my point is you carry that with you everywhere. So that I think is really, to me, is interesting. And I think to some extent, uh, we also tend to, look at life at is a zero sum game that you know anything that i you know someone else achieved that means i can't have that that means this whole idea of zero sum game or you can call it a mindset of scarcity which is that there is a limited or finite resources available and if someone has them then you you're not going to have them so i have to now essentially fight harder for the same resources rather than believing that things are actually in abundance. And I think, you know, the best example really is air, right? If you look at the air, I mean, or oxygen, you know, we all breathe air all the time, but no one ever fights over it. You don't, you know, you can sit next to each other. We can sit in a stadium. You don't fight over it. And why is that? Because we inherently believe it is in abundance. We can all breathe and there's plenty of it for all of us. And now the question is, what are the things that we believe are not uh, abundant? And what if they were the next air, right? What if the energy could be the next air? We never have to fight over it because it is in so much abundance, right? What if the water was the next air? What if the food was the next air? That means it is so much for everyone. There is nothing to fight about, right? So, and that to me is the key is to start to understand that the world is, can be abundant. You can, you're living in a universe where, you know, we, if you think of whole planet Earth, and we talk about our home and our community, but whole planet Earth, just even in our solar system, is a tiny dot in our solar system, right? In yeah. our solar system is a tiny dot in our galaxy. 
our galaxy is a tiny dot in this universe. And this universe could be a tiny dot in some multiverse, right? So my point is when you talk about, oh, we have such a limited quantity of land, what are we talking about? We have <laughs> mindset says that we live on this planet, but there are gazillions, gazillions of planet out there. So where is that shortage, right? Where is the shortage of water? It's all over in the universe. There's nothing but water. There's nothing but energy. Every 90 minutes, more solar energy falls on planet Earth than we use in a whole year. So my point is, where is that scarcity coming from other than our own mind? And once you, dis- once you realize that, then you know it's a matter of simply harvesting it, and then you can have abundance of it. So powerful. I mean, it, it goes kind of full circle. I, I know at the beginning of the conversation, you, we talked about uh, our kids and, and just children in general and, you know, how we're, we're born essentially limitless and the, 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 the limitations or the restrictions or the mindset, you know, kind of get, get put on as we go. So, I mean, I feel like the whole theme of the conversation has been around staying limitless and having the belief and having the perspective of, you know, someone that believes in your first yourself, obviously, and believe that it really anything is possible. And yep. that's, that's powerful. So powerful. I want to ask you one final question, Naveen, and, you know, all said and done, you're working on some incredible things. Um, but I'd love to know when you, when you close your eyes, you know, what, what truly makes you smile each day? I think I I answered that question uh, when I started. I say, you know, watching our children doing things that could potentially help the humanity better is really what gives me the most pleasure. Uh, Because, you know, to some extent, watching them uh, succeed, watching them thrive, not just for themselves, but for people around them, to me, is the best and most, uh, I would say, pleasurable feeling you get in life. Well, I want to thank you for having belief in yourself and continuing to ask powerful questions and shift perspectives and create other humans on this earth, uh, i.e. your children, to think that way and, and impact so many other people. Um we, we we all we all win when when our minds dialed in, in in that capacity. So thank you, Naveen, for uh, dedicating your life and your work to all of these causes. Well, thank you, Mark, for uh, this wonderful podcast. And I think anyone who is listening to it, please sign up and subscribe because you know Mark has done an amazing job of bringing great ideas and dedicating his life to making uh, other people's uh, mind expand. So. Thank you very much for what you do, Mark.